Well, I'm in the middle of a thunderstorm, so I've got sound effects. Oh, wow. So yeah, it's, <laughs> That's uh, quite it's been something. storming uh, all night, uh, which is, I know that because my eight-year-old uh, came into my room in the early oh. a.m. hours asking if she could sleep on the floor. Um, Why on the floor? I don't know. Not in your bed? Which well, is no, she floor. knows I'm not going to let her sleep in, in our uh, bed. Okay, so. so it's just being close to you, but okay. Right. And it's one of those things where I'm just too tired to argue. I'm like, yeah, that, uh, I'm like, oh, it's fine. And then <laughs> I half asleep. So just like, just do whatever. And then in the morning I'm I close. wake up and on the hardwood at the four, foot of her, <laughs> she's like curled up on the floor. Aww. And I, I felt marginally guilty, but not that guilty because <laughs> um, she could have slept in her own bed or in the living room or, you know, wherever. Where are you based again? I don't remember. Anymore. I'm in Memphis, Tennessee, which is known for okay. uh, FedEx, Elvis Presley and barbecue. <laughs> We were once known for music, but Nashville kind of like swiped that out from under us. Mm, so like we had stacks and all the all these different like um, sort of Motown kind of things. The Motown's not us, but, you know, um, a lot of music of the 60s uh, came from Memphis. And Nashville mm. actually even bought some of our stuff and moved it to Nashville, like historic oh, buildings. Like there's so much money now. And uh, like Nashville is kind of like Hollywood East. Um it's crazy. Like the like the the amount of money that has flown to that city in the past decade. It's just like hmm. we were kind of on par, and then all of a sudden they just like took off. And um, it's very expensive to live there now. It's very expensive to visit there now. Is this one of the reasons why quite a few of your visualizations are sort of music related, at least in the past that I've seen? Wow. Okay, so you're flipping this on me. Like now. <laughs> Um, you know, I, it's just something I enjoy. Um, I grew up, uh, a lot of the music my dad would play in the car was sort of like the temptations and the four tops and stuff like that. Mm. And, and I was more into like alt rock and stuff. And now I've got like very eclectic tastes and, um, my kids do too. My wife is like very much into the same stuff. She's always been, she like likes Mariah Carey and stuff like mm. that. Like she likes divas. Um, and my girls don't really go for that. So I try to expose them to a bunch of stuff. But yeah, I, I like a lot of different kinds of music. I think uh, more than anything, it's I just sort of like um, arts and entertainment. So mm. I sort of try to make stuff about the things that I find interesting or that I see uh, an opportunity to look at in a different way. Mm. Yeah, that's nice. It allows you for a fun style and, and colors and stuff like that. Speaking of fun style and colors, isn't that like your <laughs> whole deal? So, OK, so you have your own studio now, yeah. right? Is it, pronounced, is it par it pronounced parable? Like, as I know, this yeah. is the Greek version of parable. Okay, right. So it's so, a, yeah, the Greek, the French version sort of. So in French, you would say parable, but in English, we say parable. And that's that's how it was meant to be. It's meant to be a bit um, confusing in a fun way. <laughs> I, I will butcher it in all languages. So I will well, get That was kind of the, the goal anyway, because I did, did really want the, the E there and not the A for different reasons so that, well that, that it reminds you of like parabola you know it's it's yeah, uh it's, part of it. you've got like your mathematic term in yeah. there along with your storytelling term so yeah i was i was cruising um your site and like looking at some of your projects and stuff and i realized like a lot of the stuff you've been doing particularly like your information is beautiful award which is like a in-person sort of real world data viz thing in kenya mm. which i thought was really interesting so how did that come about so that was a project via data for change. So just to make sure that right, everyone right. knows credit wise, I was hired by them to work on the project and they were the ones who got the grant and, and everything. Uh, so as the project manager and then ended up being like an, a bit of an analyst and a bit of a designer, you know how it goes. Um, and we worked with the with an NGO over there, which is a bit more of a social justice movement than it is an NGO. So they work in... 
uh, informal settlements in, in and around Nairobi, but mainly in Nairobi because there are a lot of those where people come to the city for work, but they cannot really afford a proper place to live. Uh, so they were they um, stay in the settlements. And the conditions there are, as you can imagine, from, from the name of the place. And during COVID, it got much, much worse. So before that, there was a lot of uh, police violence and corruption. And during the curfews, uh, it, the police just abused the people even more. And thanks, I think it was financed by the UN, uh, the, org- the organization that is survey on the, how were things for you uh, during the during the pandemic, where they like, arrests, injuries, killings, as you observed, that kind of thing, um, and they they had the results of these surveys in Excel spreadsheets, but they didn't really know what to what to do. And we're talking about it uh, like in the early stages, um, thinking what we could do with it. And the thing over there is not everyone has access to internet like you and I. So that was you know starting with thinking about your audience. That's not the uh, that was probably not the the way to go, um, but they do a lot of uh, artistic murals for no, usually not with data, but for things like um, showing, reminding people to wash their hands, and showing the police that you know everyone is sort of uh, rebelling against them, that kind of thing in in a very artsy form. So that's how the idea of the mural came about, and we ended up doing like a whole event around it. And the digital form of it is uh, to make sure that we can share something with sort of the rest of the world and with the donors and things like that. So it was kind of a sort of an output that we had to make. So it came from the, from the physical event. That's really interesting. I also think it's interesting, you know, covering the idea sort of uh, police violence and uh, mm. I guess uh, corruption or, you know, it's, it's sort of a, you know, universal thing uh, both globally and sort of historically, yeah. like, Whenever you put anyone in power, there's always the opportunity for that person to use that power inappropriately. So I think it's it's good to draw visibility to that. And, uh, you know, and also I think it's really interesting to have that real physical world space mm. version of um, the representations of the stuff. And also, like, it looked like there were opportunities for people to come and draw their own connections yes. between themselves mm. and different ideas, mm. which I've seen at, you know, like the Tableau conference, for example, when there were things like, hey, uh, add your to this thing and draw mm-hmm. a string from this thing to that thing so we could all see sort of the weight of different fields people had moved through or where they mm. came from in the world and i think it's a really cool to use the opportunity of like real world data in the real mm. world yeah instead of visualization and collection kind of in the same place and some of the feedback we've got after the event i don't know if you watched uh, the video of it it's somewhere in the in the piece so one of my favorite quote from the project is someone saying that instead of putting these visualizations somewhere online or in books that people cannot afford and maybe cannot even read, you just put it on walls. So data from the community for the community, right where where they are. Um, and the other side of it that was really rewarding, and I think it's probably the reason why it's one of my favorite projects ever, just in terms of impact, is that the community actually, the people who came to the event actually said that they uh, it helped them heal, just seeing the data and talking about it and make, making everyone aware which is um, probably the the biggest thing you can ever do with it, just visualizing some numbers. That's really great. Um, mm. Let me tell you, there were there was an idea I was sort of thinking mm-hmm. about like about a year ago, and I was talking with uh, CJ Mays about it. And I was talking about like, when's the last time you saw like a data viz that actually had like a emotional response to it or made you feel connected mm. to another person or something like that? You know, it's, we often think, oh, that's interesting or something like that. But yeah. it's 
um, it's not like when you go to the cinema or when you hear a song hmm. that's like moving and stuff. You, um, it's very rare that we actually like feel something hmm. like uh, a real. I mean, uh, I, I I felt uh, visceral feelings, unfortunately, like with um, what we had the makeover Monday a few weeks ago with uh, school shootings, which hmm. is a very terrible topic. But then you'll see some versions of it where someone did like blood splatters, and I'm like, uh, like it's both in terms of the. I hope none of the the families see this because mm. uh, I, I I consider it to be like grotesque and upsetting, but also like you know I feel like you didn't actually take into account the fact that those were people, mm. um, like real human lives uh, versus a oh you know this is violence so I should use like mm. some sort of violent thing you know, um, yeah so I was thinking like. I was talking about uh, that with CJ. Like, when's the last time you like you saw something that made you feel something? And like, that's a real tangible example of that. Mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. it's a real world example where people not only saw themselves in the data, but put themselves in the data, and then they felt more connected to their community as a result of understanding the relationships of you mm -hmm. know who had you know experienced abuse or you know what had happened to them during COVID and that sort of thing. Mm. So the visualization you were mentioning, it definitely sounds horrible. And at the same time, it did evoke a reaction from you. Like when you look at the blood splatter, you're like, oh, this is really horrific. And if it were just a bar chart in black, maybe you would scroll through it without looking at it on uh, on Twitter. So um, what I'm saying, I guess, is that there's a fine balance between I'm looking to evoke emotion and create engagement. So how do I do it? Uh, tastefully and respectfully for for everyone else even the the murals that we did in in Nairobi was it wasn't that easy because some of the numbers are like this this is the number of people who got killed by police and when I was analyzing the data there was a point where I had to literally take a break because I was reading an example of so what happened to this uh, to this particular woman how did she die and the comment was that um during the lockdown, she was giving birth and she was afraid to go to the hospital because the police was just right outside her house and she just died doing it. I was like, okay. Wow. So, yeah. I mean, that's... So how do you how do you share that while respecting everyone is, um, I think, a big question. I, I mean, totally. And I think that's one of the... I appreciate the moral dilemma of some of that. And that's why I sort of... I buck hard lines on saying like, oh, you should always have a spoiler warning or don't show mm -hmm. don't show the chart unless you, uh, yeah. uh, you know, um, don't show anything until people opt into accepting mm. the premise. And I I sort of I, I don't reject that on its face. I understand that, mm. like, for example, if you you were a victim of like sexual assault and it's a chart about that. Like this could this could be like very uh, upsetting to you, you know, mm, but at the sure. same time, I'm not going to go seek out charts about sexual assault. It's not something I want to think about. I think it's horrible. Mm. But if I'm confronted with this and I see it, I'm like, holy cow, I did not know this things had gotten that bad. That mm. awakens something in me and that can, you know, can make, you know, can cause change in people and make people think about stuff and mm. cause action and you know, if we always sort of put stuff behind that sort of firewall where it's like, mm. do I want to experience something like this? You know, versus, you know, we're, we're adults. Like, I understand, like, with children, like with mm. my kids, like, 
if I'm listening to say a podcast and they like, Hey, you know, this next part's kind of grisly or this next part's, you know, sexually explicit. So you probably shouldn't, you know, let your kids, I'm like, Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Mm. I, I prefer for my eight and 11 year old not to hear this because they're not adults, but it's like, mm. as an adult, I understand that the world has a lot of stuff that I don't love about it. And sometimes mm. knowing more about those things makes me a better person. Mm. And you kind of have to force yourself into doing it. I was reading um, a book a few months back on uh, some of the migrants who go from Mexico to the United States. And I really had to force myself to read it because there were some gruesome details of how like they die in the desert and stuff like that. And my partner was like, how, why do you keep reading it? I was like, it's not that it's not because it makes me uncomfortable that I'm going to stop. It's like, I feel like I kind of have to just to, you know, know, know about it. Um, and to your point on the, on the warnings, I think that it was maybe two or three years ago when I still used to do makeover Monday, there was one week where the data was about um, suicides, probably in, in European countries or something like that. And I come from a country with a, with the highest rate of suicide. So wow. uh, there's that. Um, and I think it was, I want to say Bridget Cogley, but maybe I'm, um, I hope I'm remembering correctly. She was the one who posted on Twitter and said, guys, before you share all of that, just give a, a content warning saying this is going to be about this. So it's an important topic, but just so you're warned so that it's not next to a, you know, a cat picture. It doesn't shock you too much. I mean, it's, I, I approach, for example, my school shooting viz with an entirely different mindset and care than I would. Uh, I, I was just doing a John Hughes network diagram, for example. So if I'm talking about the comedic movies of John Hughes in the 1980s, the the method in which I deal with this and the seriousness which with I take are going to be very different. Obviously, mm. I don't feel like a moral responsibility to include Mr. Mom on my John Hughes network <laughs> diagram versus if I'm talking about, you know, something like police violence or something like that. Then, you you know, you really want to, you know, make sure that you're being thoughtful with how you handle it. And I mean, with my school shooting thing, that's why, why I was like, hey, look, I'm not claiming to to have answers here. I'm I am reporting what this data set says and part mm. and especially since I'm putting this on Twitter where non data people are going to say it I include disclaimers like look data is imperfect mm. like you should okay. understand that data is imperfect uh, the collection methods are imperfect uh, the people the person visualizing it is imperfect mm. so take everything you're seeing with a grain of salt I'm reporting what I have from a set of data that I received you know that sort of thing mm. and also like I'm not prescribing things like while the data set and the data charts I was choosing to demonstrate were showing, hey, look, there's a trend. And the big part of the trend is there is a shift to outdoor and after school shootings mm. and at sporting events, which oh. if well, that makes it easier. And this is the part I did not include because this is editorial, mm. which is we've hardened schools by putting in metal detectors and school mm. security officers in the school buildings. So if you were inclined to try to hurt people and you want to hurt as many people as possible and you want to possibly get away, I'm assuming you want to, you would do that in a larger open place that is harder to secure. And I'm like, that makes sense. I did not write that in there because that's mm. me adding editorial and drawing yeah. my own conclusions. I do that about John Hughes. I wouldn't do that about, you know, school shootings. And we've gotten yeah, very just, serious mm. very quickly. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> I don't know how that happened. Um, yeah, I'll go to check those visits out. I haven't seen them, the latest uh, Makeover Monday. The but irony I guess is, if you were a journalist, you would sort of have to write about it. That must be hard. You know, it's, um, yeah, I mean, that's, it's, it's no fun. 
but the, the <laughs> irony is the reason I, I I wanted to talk to you was because you were fun. So I've totally I've totally <laughs> I, I have one fun with like one per year. <laughs> Your fun one, yeah. And it was um, yeah. You recently put up one about sort of um, what was it? Your uh, fit year, right? You yeah, created this really cool radial yeah. diagram about workouts mm. and sort of you know you're uh, moving to your weight goals and stuff like that mm. and i thought it was really cool especially since i struggle with all things radial like radials um mm. i mean conceptually i get how it works and implementation mm. i'm like this is painful for me to think that way um mm. but, but it's i i really okay. appreciate it because it had a a really good blend of both sort of eye catching which is the marketing mm -hmm. part we we're talking about with data how you have to grab attention mm. um a conveyance of data, both in terms of the look at the volume of workouts, look at the type mm. of workouts, and then also the, hey, look at the change in my weight. And it, it displays mm. all of that in a way that's really clear. I mean, not in the way that you might use if you had to talk about like Q4 economic trends for your country, for sure. mm. but in the way that you would use when you're having fun. And yeah. I, I really appreciate it. So how did this come apart? That was this something you were thinking about doing from the beginning of the year, or is it as you were collecting this data, you started thinking, Hey, you know, I could do something with this. It was more towards the end of the year. At the beginning, I was just trying to stick to my goal. So the, the little bit of a background story there is that like a lot of people during COVID, I gained weight because I'm someone who just can go really up and down really easily. And then at the end of last year, my partner and I were sort of making the goals for 2022. And I was like, okay, now I'm just going to quit complaining that, you know, I don't fit in my dress or whatever, and just uh, take, take this take this thing and do something about it. So I went back to uh, gym classes. They're called Sweet. So I live in France. They're called Swedish Fit, and they've been launched in France. So the Swedish people have no idea what it is. So that's um, the fun fact about it. When I talk to the Swedish, they're like, Swedish what? Anyway, so it's, um, I think the simplest way to imagine it, it's very close to sort of the 80s aerobics kind of thing where you sort of all coordinated and you do yeah. one thing with your hands and another with your legs, that kind of thing. Um, so it's really good for for cardio and just, uh, just having fun. So I uh, went back to that because during the COVID years, I did a lot of yoga but it's I mean I had like abs and could do a handstand but kept gaining weight so it, it wasn't really working the way I the way I wanted um so in the visualization you can really see how at the beginning of the year I still I kept my yoga habits and then once I went more and more to the gym I really ended up addicted to cardio which initially I hate because it's really hard like it's good for your heart and everything but it's for me, I'm, I'm not a very athletic person. So initially for me, it's really hard. Um, and then I slowly shifted and I, now I don't even think about yoga. I'm just like, get me to a full cardio class um, every time every time I go there. Um, so at the beginning of the year, I was just excited to reach the goals really um, early. So I wasn't planning on the visualization, but I was logging the data, but it was more um, just to you know, sort of keep track of it and see see where I'm at. That obviously means that I did have a, like an ugly line chart in my Google spreadsheet. Just I, I do data this, so I had to <laughs> see the see the trend. And at the end of the year, I wanted to do um, like a sort of year wrap up project. So initially, I wanted to do this one, and then like one for my studio would be like every year in view and all that. But you, you know, we humans don't have time for all of the ideas that come to our head. Uh, so I ended up just doing this one. And um, back to your point on being fun, I actually forced myself to do something that I 
would rarely do for clients because it's radial and a bit weird and you know takes a long time to read and I forced myself to do it on a, like on a dark background with lots of color which is normally not really my style because I'm known for being like minimalistic and very clear and all of that so even now when I look at the visit like okay it's very flashy but it, it's good it's <laughs> sort of pushing myself to get out of my comfort zone was kind of the the goal and also celebrating of course um, but making it fun which is not my signature this style if I may put it like that so was this uh did you use flourish as your tool on this or what was your primary data tool so primary tool was illustrator I did the line chart in flourish and then in illustrator you have like a brush thing that I learned in um, Valentina de Filippo's online class on domestic in case anyone's uh, wondering the one she has just published and there's like a brush thing where you just put a line on a circle and it sort of does it for you because at the beginning I did it I tried a version of it in um in d3 and I was really excited that I sort of made it happen but the thing that I didn't know how to do was to instead of just drawing the line doing it as a difference uh against my goal because what you see now is uh there, there's the goal and then the line is either above it or below it so that I didn't know how to do so I was like okay I'm just gonna <laughs> draw a line and flourish and put it back in illustrator and all of the little circles I just put them on manually so like in terms of the sort of jitter effect that they have that's just spacing to help them all fit on there appropriately yeah so when I when I was putting them on I still had a little sort of vertical radial lines for the days that I removed afterwards because I don't think we need them but when I was putting the circles they were there so it's like more or less the day of the workout but yeah there's a bit of a movement just to make them fit because my goal was to show um, how many sessions per category were there like per month or this part of the month and we don't really care about specific dates and I think that's 100% effective for what you're trying to accomplish here and I think that's one thing I I, um, I like sort of, you know, when you're sort of new to data, you you want everything. Do you think of it like a tool and you're like, mm. what's the most clear way to communicate as much information as possible? I'm going to make this thing super dense. And the fact that you don't need a data tool to make everything, you can use mm. a piece of chalk. And the yeah. fact that like, what's the idea that I'm trying to convey? You're trying to show a volume of workouts and a frequency of them. Mm. And in this case, it's you know, the super sweaty workouts are obviously your <laughs> biggest, your biggest workouts, although you yeah. sort of transitioned at, at a certain point, like you were a little yeah. sweaty and then you're like, okay, I need to, I need to kick this into gear. And then you can mm. actually see as you did that, then the weight loss really starts to kick in and you start to achieve your goals. Mm. And I mean, that's the message of this. And you added some editorial in here with some little arrows to point out different yeah. spots and, you know, to talk about stuff, but there's no need for everyone to understand every individual point on it because mm. that's not the point of this thing. Like this isn't a, you know, a superstore sales chart where they need mm. to know you know, what were tables selling like in February? Like, that's not the point of this. So there's no need to have that level of information. Yeah, I totally agree. And I'm glad that you you read it the way I the way I intended, because it is a little a little out there as a bit. So I'm, I'm actually glad that people, there were quite a lot of comments and people on social media actually liked it. And someone said, oh, I want to do the same thing. How did you do it? So um, it's nice. 
Well, good. I mean, like it's it's great to get. First of all, any feedback is wonderful always mm. on anything. And it's like even if it's negative feedback. And that's one thing I say about the podcast a lot of times. A lot of times I don't hear anything back on a given episode. I mean, I'll see the numbers. I know people are listening. So mm. I'm like, that must be fine. But it's like, <laughs> I, I hope people maybe like reach out to the guests or follow them or say, oh, mm. hey, like I found that thing that you did. I thought that was neat. But it's like, I don't hear a lot too often. So whenever I do hear something, I always appreciate that. And uh, very rarely do people say negative things. I kind of wish they would more often so that I'd have something like to go off of. Like, <laughs> you know, I really wish you wouldn't say um so much. It's like that I might work on that. But I, I uh, yeah, feedback is great. So I'm I'm glad I understood it the way uh, that you intended for it to be, because I know how validating that is when someone sees your stuff and sort of gets it, you know. Especially in a personal piece like that, because it's, it could have been literally no one cares. <laughs> I mean, you you went to the gym, sure, great, good for you, you lost some weight, amazing. Um, it could it could have also been that. So, so it's nice. I mean, on a long enough timeline, no one cares about any of the stuff we do. Mm, so sure. it's it's a very <laughs> right like uh, no no one, especially since everything I make is digital. I have no mm. illusions that um, people are going to be like you know out of the rubble of society finding um i don't know my back to the future timeline mm. and being like oh wow you know it's like there look we live in an age where it's it's i i don't say content because i feel like that cheapens thing but it's people are trying to create content you know it's like whether that is uh memes or you know videos or whatever everyone uh, to some degree wants to be seen and wants to express themselves so i don't really have any illusions that anything i make is special beyond that but if if you know a handful of people see it and find it interesting or learn something or amused or you know in the case of something more serious uh learn something like great like i i don't um i don't really have any illusions that it's uh it's uh, evergreen is going to hang out you know no i think sometimes it's I know I'm the first to to do this, but hopefully it resonates with others too. We, when we think about putting something out there and impact and stuff, we're looking for something really, really big. Like, oh, people will rem remember it. It's going to be evergreen, like you say, or uh, someone's going to give me an award or whatever. And there are so many cases where your impact can be really small. Like someone uh, will use your color palette because they really like it or they'll be like oh this alignment really makes sense so I love the way you handle annotations or the font that you use what is whatever little thing that inspires them or maybe just encourages them to create something personal and put it out there because mostly I did this for myself so to celebrate and to push myself to do something colorful that I rarely do just to you know push my practice forward so whatever little thing can help others even if they don't say anything because sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. But um, even if it's as small as, oh, I liked how you put the circle over there. I think it's already really cool. One of the ironies, um, for me at least, is most of the thing that will serve as my legacies are the least visible things or the things that most people don't realize. So I have at least two mentees who have gone on to get mm -hmm. better data jobs because I've sort of worked with them and sort of been there for them and been a sounding board and offered advice and stuff. I've worked with women in technology at Emory University and helped, you know, single mothers get jobs. I've done some of these other things. And I'm not saying this as a, as a brag. I'm just saying, like, <laughs> those are the things that I've done that are going to have far more lasting effect mm. on the world than any of the stuff that I like labored on uh, trying to create something amazing. You know, it's 
Um, my my biggest work would be the little bit of effort I was able to help somebody else or remove an obstacle mm. for them or something like that, rather than the thing I actually made myself. Mm. For sure. But do you think in some way, the fact that you had put some stuff out there publicly, even though it's maybe not your legacy, helped you be confident and then sort of help others transmit it to others, if you see what I mean? I think so. I think um, one of the big things about doing stuff publicly is it um, it helps you get used to the idea of criticism, both mm. as a sort of positive and a negative, like a positive, like people offering feedback and mm. uh, saying, oh, hey, um, I didn't understand that because you didn't label that thing. I'm like, oh, OK, next time I'll be more thoughtful about that, whether I actually include an access label or if I include some notes to explain mm. what it is, or negative feedback, like anytime I post anything on Reddit and people, you know, say the most terrible <laughs> things about me. Uh, oh yeah, I, I, um, it's, it's a, it's almost a social experiment. Like I post stuff. <laughs> the data is beautiful. You know, it'll be mm -hmm. something like I'll post, especially if I post something that has been very well received by data people, sort of mm -hmm. on on Twitter or elsewhere. I'll post it on Reddit. It'll get zero upvotes and just nothing mm -hmm. but people like critiquing it. And it's like, okay, that's interesting. Like Reddit's a, its own place. Like mm. for everyone that's talked about Twitter being a cesspool, like Reddit is it's not, it's much harsh, harsh not better. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's I, I also like I've sort of had um, in the past couple of days, uh, I've had some interesting fun with that myself. So a reporter had um, tweeted out something about the Chicago Police Department has a Tableau dashboard out there reporting mm -hmm. hate crimes. And I'm actually going to show this to you right now. Um, so uh, I started looking at it and very quickly I started seeing stuff that I'm like, oh, well, there's a lot of opportunity to improve this. So mm -hmm. right next to each other, they have a packed bubble chart um, showing sort of the groups affected by hate crimes most predominantly. And mm -hmm. the biggest of all the bubbles doesn't even have a, a label on it. Mm. Um, so I'm looking at this red thing and I'm like, well, that's bad. I don't know what it is. Is it interactive in the in the initial version at least? It is. Um, so there's that. So if you hover on it, you can see, um, I believe that's anti-African-American um, mm. uh, targeting. But then to the right of it, they also have a line chart showing the change over time. And that very same group actually goes off of the chart. Um, so, you know, we, we mm -hmm. people talk about this thing is off the charts. This is off the charts, but nothing should ever <laughs> be off the charts because you control the charts. So like, it the could, I've seen charts where it literally goes off the chart to show that um, that it's really an outlier and is sort of in the space somewhere. Exactly. And that's something you or I might do for dramatic effect, right? Mm -hmm. Like we're saying, oh, hey, look, this is 25. And then all of a sudden this thing's shooting up and above the axis and continues to go. Not in this case. In this case, somebody fixed the axis, I guess, based on some previous years. And mm. now they're exceeding those years in multiple areas. So anti-African-American, anti-gay male, anti-Jewish um, uh, bias groups are being targeted more predominantly from 2020 forward. And you can't tell by how much because it flies off the chart. And uh, so, so you tweeted them. I, I tweeted them <laughs> several it? times, actually. So I, I'm tweeting the Chicago Police Department. They have not responded yet. And I'm, I'm oh, legitimately no, no. saying, like, okay. I'm not making fun of them at this point. Like, that is something within me. I, I do have mm. um, some snark in me. And I could just say, hey, look at the crap charts that the Chicago Police Department is putting out there. I recognize they're doing this for because they're trying to communicate mm. information, okay. right? Mm. Like, th this has good intentions behind it, but it's ill. It's ineffective. Like, mm. if we as data people are looking at that, 
And, you know, I can't tell if the red bubble is twice as big as the Mm, sort of tannish bubble. Is it, you know, an eighth as big? I don't know. Like, I can't look at that and tell. So it's one of those things where sometimes you find um, projects where someone that made it was very skilled with using the tool, but not Mm. skilled in the theory behind data visualization. In order to be successful in this field, you have to have both. Isn't it um, sort of the case most of the time? Because whenever I come into any company to give data training or data storytelling training, which is a bit of a of a trendy thing right now, most of the time what I encounter is that people are given a tool, so be it Tableau or Power BI or Data Studio, whatever. Um, and as soon as their management pays for the tool and gives them the tool. They're, they expect amazing dashboards, but they skip the part where they don't know that they should be doing the visual perception and how you draw attention and how you format, et cetera. So usually I'm the one doing it and the effect it has, it's uh, it, it's insane. So the dashboard from from uh, Chicago Police that you're showing kind of looks like to me like it's more of a, like a default choice in Tableau rather than you know bad choices in terms of um, chart making, just because people were probably not trained in it. And, you know, it's it's what I see, especially when someone who's sort of a junior analyst, newer to a tool, not familiar with theory, is someone tells them, make this more visual. Mm. And they're like, okay. Um, so, yeah. you know, they'll make a map for something that doesn't require a map. And people are like, I like this. It's visual. It's a map. And it's like, yeah, but unless the locations of these things matter in relation to each other, this mm. map is ineffective for your, 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 it's like, oh, it's 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 twice as red as that other thing it's like yeah i mean like unless you slap <laughs> numbers on everything and in that case it's all junked up and that's also not effective you know it's you're 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 not taking advantage of the visual medium to the best opportunity mm. you know, it takes some getting used to i remember when i first starting started doing tableau when i worked for warner brothers a long time ago and i was sort of encouraging my team members to you know have one accent color and maybe the rest is a bit gray or something that doesn't shout at you and the the feedback I got initially was, oh, but this is just, you know, sad. <laughs> this is a, now a very boring, sad uh, chart. And I believe it's um, Cole Netflix who said, uh, colors are really fun, you know, for a party, but not not for a chart. So, uh, but it does take some getting used to because people think that the more color you have in there, the more attractive it will be. Whereas to me, it feels like you're just yelling at me with all of your categories. And colors mean something, too. I mean, it's Hmm. not universal in the world. For example, red means different things in the East than the West. But I had a client, um, a Western company, um, who I had used um, blue, which was one of our standard uh, colors. Mm -hmm. We have a a brand palette that we use. And they said, Mm -hmm. blue's bad here. Like, you should use Mm -hmm. red instead. I'm like, and I'm like, let me ask you this. Did you change the color of your campus stoplights? Like, no. I'm like, well, that's because mm-hmm. color means something. And mm-hmm. in the Western world, red is like stop, red is alert, red is bad. Like you're you're trying to draw. I mean, unless you're talking about like sports teams or something like that, where mm-hmm. red is just an indicator. Like if I'm looking at a dashboard and I see something as red, that's the indicating, look at me, probably something you should be paying attention mm-hmm. to. And they were like, just make all the bars on here red. It's like, no. <laughs> Just no. I actually had a fun experience with this last year. I was working with a, like a communications agency. We were making a map, making a map with ratios for like each region of France, whatever, it doesn't really matter. And I to steer away from the red and green, I had blue and orange. And to me, blue was good and orange was bad. But the way they read it was a bit more of a, a kind of weather map thing, where for them, orange was 
hot so kind of good and blue was bad and we have the whole debate about it. we ended up like asking a lot of people what they thought like sort of doing a survey see how everyone felt I thought that was really interesting because to me if it's orange and I think I personally think orange is not a very cute color so to me it's just like take this thing away from me uh, and to them it was the other way around so you never it's, really know it's so funny because right above my head right now you're seeing a um a poster <laughs> which is an orangey yellow and a teal blue um, On which are, my screen shows more yellow than orange, so you're fine. <laughs> it's my lighting. It's it's because it's still dark out. It's it's still thunderstorming. It's also eight thirty in the morning. Uh, but you know it is, it is dark out, and I have uh, colored hue lights in here to make me look less washed oh, nice. out and pale. Um, <laughs> but no, nice it's uh, it's interesting that that color combination is a very common. Like if you look at um, movie posters or box art, mm -hmm. or uh, even novels, like the, uh, the sort of orangey teal spectrum. Mm -hmm. is one of the most common color combinations. And I was pointing out online not too long ago, video games commonly use orange or yellow as indicators of sort of what you can interact with or where you can go, but they never tell you that because it's not sort of super common in nature, like just mm. vivid yellows. Mm. Like they'll okay. use like a yellow scrape on a wall or like a yellow glow from light in a distant place as sort of, a, oh, hey, that... That's something. And, and you don't even realize you're doing it, but they're training you how to interact with something without, you know, piling on text and tutorial. Mm, I never noticed that. I'll keep an eye for it next time. Yeah, I mean, it's not universal, but it's pretty mm -hmm. common. I just played many of the uh, modern sort of Tomb Raider games, and that was mm -hmm. one of the sort of markers that they used to sort of, oh, this wall is something you could uh, climb on. And it's mm -hmm. uh, they don't tell you that, but you're like, oh, you start to recognize it. And before you know it, you're responding to it without uh, without any provocation. So does it also have a sort of good and bad connotation or is it just um, you the orange and the blue are they just used interchangeably sort of? I mean, it's you will you probably wouldn't use the blue as often because uh, like as an indicator, because like, you know, the sky is blue, water is blue. Mm. There's so much mm. that's blue that um, it's not going to stand out as much as something that's just sort of jarring. You know, mm. you could use red everywhere, but again, red might have that alert feeling, whereas orange is just sort of a, I'm noticing that this stands out against all the blacks, browns, and grays mm. in here, you know? Mm. It's very interesting. I love finding examples in other areas than database to show how to, you know, highlight something or how something is commonly seen without uh, without us thinking about it uh, when I teach. So it's, it's interesting to hear that. Well, let me tell you, I have had... An amazing time. Um, this is the first uh, podcast of season four. So Ooh, that's, yeah, we've done honor. three full seasons of, seasons of the podcast. Wow. So I was How really excited to have you on. I don't know. It's, it it's like a lot. Is it like hundreds by now? I mean, approaching, you know, okay. um, at least 26 a year. So we're, we're getting there. Wow. You know? um, so thank you for coming on. Is there anything Thanks you so want to shout out me. or promote before we go? No, I don't think so. If you want to reach out, there's my... Twitter, it's uh, Parable Studio, or Instagram is Parable Design for more personal and colorful stuff. Um, and if you reach out to me through my website, I'll, I always respond as well. So. And it is awesome. Like I was browsing the website. It's super well designed and the projects are awesome. So thanks again for coming on. And also share the name of my designer and developer for the website in case anyone is Yeah, wondering. like you need a website. <laughs> like it's, and it would be an awesome website. But uh, thanks and have a great day and happy new year. You too. Thanks so much. Have a good day. Good luck with all the storms. <laughs> Thanks.
Hey, thanks for sticking around to the end. I really appreciate you listening to the Data Plus Love podcast. If you'd like to see more about what we're up to with the show, go to anchor.fm slash data plus love. Just spell it out, not a literal plus sign. Here you'll be able to see our library of episodes as well as interact with them either through polls or comments or leave a voicemail message that I'll put on an episode. You can interact with me personally by joining me on Twitter. I'm at Zach Bowders, not hard to hunt down. And if you like what you're hearing, consider leaving a tip for us or signing up for a small monthly donation at our ko-fi.com slash data plus love. Buying a cup of coffee for the show is just $3, and you can get more if you choose, or sign up to give that $3 or more monthly. Either way, I really appreciate it. Lastly, if you'd like to see more of my public data viz work, check me out on Tableau Public. So go to public.tableau.com and search for Zach Bowders. I'm the only one you won't have trouble finding me. I promise. So thanks again for hanging on to the end of the show. I really appreciate all of your listens. And until next time, this has been Zach Bowders for the Data Plus Love Network.